you guys know what this is. If I can spell it right. Inerrancy. Inerrancy. We've talked a lot in this class. I don't know if you've been in every one of them, but you've been in probably most of them, right? Yeah, I've got a couple. About the Bible. I mean, we've talked about canonization of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, God-breathed, God-inspired, written by humans, all of these different aspects of the Bible. Um, progressive Revelation, I think that was like the first or second one. Um, I think that's, in, that's a, a, a different type of topic than we're going to talk about today. Um, when you hear the word inerrancy, what do you think of? Without error, unable to be wrong. Unable to be wrong. I like that. Without error. Other things, what comes to your mind? Basically the same thing, free of errors. Um, correct. Correct. Error free. I, mean, I guess there's other adjectives or, or nouns that you could use. Um, no mistakes. All right. So it's the word that really describes that. Perfect. Perfect. Just <laughs> think about that just for a second. Um, if this book is perfect, without error, no mistakes, all of these other things, how, how does that how does that inform your perspective or change your perspective on? If this book, if I have, you know, actually, here's a Bible right here. That that is perfect, without error, written by the Word, by God, through human hands, through the Holy Spirit. How does that affect your perspective on life? I mean, we, you, you know that you can rely on the, the information in there <clears throat> as long as you can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's think through that. So rely based on comprehension. So, okay, what else could we say when we think about the impact of such a, a work? This is the creator of all that exists that we're talking about. Um, it, it obviously affects the way you view everything. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe the Word of God as opposed to the way the rest of the world or anybody of any other belief views the world would be different from the way you view the world. Yeah. Like the class next door is talking about the basically the Christian life. What does it mean? Without this book, that's, that's pointless. It's just another philosophy or country club or whatever. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's no more relative. 
uh, than any other type of living. So this, when you, I think that's what's really cool about that, rely based on comprehension for, <laughs> what are we relying on it for? Guidance. Okay. True. Guidance. I should just quit writing things down. <laughs> truth. I'm, I'm relying on it for truth. That's that's an interesting statement because we're assuming that the Bible is true. So when we read it, we say this is truth. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back. I don't want to rely on something that's true. I look at the Bible. Look at its standard. All these things, but guidance for who to marry, <laughs> for what car to buy, for the weather. What do you rely on it for? Well, it, it basically, you rely on it for it's how you relate to every person in your life, how you, how you um, like run your family, how you um, relate to your wife, how you relate to your kids, how you relate to your coworkers. Um, so I mean, it, it, it really is woven into every relationship in your life and, and just, you know, when you're ill, it, it affects how you think about your illness, how you, I mean, it affects everything. Really does. Uh, life. It affects how I do life. It affects how, how I see life. Death, how how you, I, yeah, every death. death. Everything about it, it affects our ex existence. The question of why are we here? You know, that, that existential um, problem of I don't really know why I exist. Why am I here? With the Bible, knowing that this is a book that was written by the creator of everything that exists, writes a book, that would give me a lot more reason to believe in why I'm, I'm here. If I read that book, he's probably, surely, he's telling me why I exist. When you, when you think of the Bible, do you immediately think, this is why I exist? It's a trick question, but we're not really... Uh, life, relationships. That's really insightful that you guys are seeing. That's, that's what it is. It's, if you don't have it, if you don't have that book, how do you address all these things that we're talking about? Life, relationships, guidance, truth. What do you rely on? It's whatever the world's telling you, guys. It's pretty dismal because everything then is this situational ethics and, and relativism. Well, it's true, or what's the phrase everybody uses today? This is my truth. Mm -hmm. What's your truth based on? It's based on how I see the world, how I feel, my circumstance, my relationship, my upbringing, whatever it is, doesn't make it in their minds untrue, but in the reality of a standard or something to go back on, it doesn't mean anything. So, and we'll get to the lesson, but I keep thinking about 
And I thought about this this week. If I truly believe that the Bible is everything we said, I think I would, I, I know I would be a different person. If I really, if we really, just between us kids, believed what we just said, we would have a more completely different way of living and getting up in the morning and the things that we do. So without giving us all the press, why don't I do that? Why don't you guys do that? Well, I mean, we still are what we are, and and, and we under. And the only reason we really understand that, the only reason we really understand the um, the evil thoughts and the and the and the the wickedness of our own hearts is through the truth. Um, but yeah, that's that's the battle. That's the that's the struggle. Yeah, we're corrupt. We and how do we know that? Because we read it in the in the Bible. It interprets itself all the time. You can go back and, and see, well, why do I think the way I do? Well, I believe the Bible. How do you know the Bible is true? Because the Bible says it is. Okay, that's BS. I don't think I said on that. Uh, in, in a debate argument, or if anybody's been through debate club like one of my sons, you never use that as, as a platform. They would just laugh you out of the room. You can't use a source to... to uh, Validate a source that doesn't make any sense in the case of the Bible though What could be more important than that because it's God right God is God if you believe that so it all goes back to that Then this isn't an issue. So First thing I wanted to sort of establish is the belief in the Bible the truth of the Bible the idea of inerrancy first based on just your perspective your insight into this. Now let's back that up with, with some actual truth. Well, not truth, but facts. Science, if you will, for a second. So when they interpret the Bible or translate the Bible, there are two things that happen. There's translation. I cannot spell today. And transmission. So anytime uh, you translate or take a book from antiquity, you go through this process. Um, John 10.35. Can somebody look that up? He called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. But is that right? That is correct. Okay. The last piece, it says, this is Jesus speaking to the, the Jews. I think we're actually might be getting into this today or next week, John 10. This is when Jesus is arguing back to the Jews. He calls up Psalms, because that's in Psalms, about... Um, the validation of Scripture. Scripture cannot be broken, is what he says. It can't be torn apart. It can't be set aside. It can't be canceled. It can't be undone. It can't be annulled. So here's Jesus talking about the Scripture, saying the Scripture cannot be broken. It is true. It can't be torn apart. This is evidence of exactly everything we just said. How do I do life? 
Jesus is saying that. Now he's talking about him calling himself God in there. They're trying to say that's blasphemy and all this. His point is he's arguing that the scripture is true. If you don't believe the scripture, you don't believe me. So when he says scripture cannot be undone, that's all we were pulling out of that. And this is part of the book. The first verse they mention is that scripture cannot be broken, cannot be undone. It is true. So based on that, if Jesus is saying scripture is true, that's a good good place to start for everything we said that we believe. Let's, let's see what Jesus believed. Well, he believed that too. Now, as humans try to transmit the scripture, there's a couple things we need to understand about what do we say by truth or perfect. Number one, um, the Bible doesn't contain all truth, right? So one under transmission, not all truth. What truth does it not have? Does it have your birthday in there? Nope. Does it have uh, the, the theory of relativity? <laughs> does it have the fact that the Cardinals lost the wild card last night? And our Albert Pujols and all those guys are retiring? No, it doesn't have any of that in there. But those are true things that happen. So when we say the Bible is true, obviously, and we'll get back to that. It's not true on everything, because not everything is in the Bible. It would, that's silly. Uh, here's another one. This one gets a little bit, not all religious truth. So what does that mean? We say it doesn't have all religious truth. What religious truth isn't in there? I mean, you know, it's, it's God's revelation of himself to us. Obviously, it doesn't encompass everything that God is. Right. It's too, it's too, it's too big for us to handle. It doesn't contain all of the truth, but it does. Everything in it is true. It doesn't give you all the mysteries of who God is. Otherwise, it wouldn't have taken, what is it, 300 years to come up with the definition of the Trinity. Um, somebody look up Deuteronomy... 2929. 29-29? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Again, that's referring to the law, so part of the Bible, saying it's not all in here. The secret things still belong to God. But what things are in the book? Based on that. The things that are revealed. For? Us and our children. What does it say right after that? Uh, that we may do all the words of this law. Okay, so there's a very, just tightening what is in the Bible and what the Bible is for. In this case, the law, what the law is for. is first, how to live. This is for us on how to live. The third thing, when we say it's perfect, it is perfect for faith and life. 
You know, the piece we didn't put up here, but we said that is perfect for how we live and what we believe in. Now, I got a handout. I need, I need way too many. This is the first chapter of uh, the London Baptist Confession, 1689. Second page of some, some other facts. Um, we got plenty of time, I think, this morning. The reason I wanted to send that out or sh shoot it to you guys is that first chapter, and there's six paragraphs, and it's kind of hard to read because it's written in 1600s, so there's a little bit of old English in there. I want us to look at that and see where it says that we can rely. This is the very first chapter of the 1689 where it talks about the Holy Scriptures. Then I omitted where it lists all 66 verses in paragraph two. Figured you got that. But the rest of this, and it's in chapter three or paragraph three, it says the Apocrypha not being a divine inspiration. There's plenty in here that talks about, and I even uh, underlined some of it, infallible authorship. Can you take a couple of minutes, look at this, and see how do I know that this book can be relied on for faith and life, based on what these 1,100 guys thought, 300 guys. You guys could get together. The thought was if we had more than six you guys could okay pair up let's look at this and figure out where does it tell me that i can rely on the bible for faith and how i live question is, according to these men, why can we trust that the Bible uh, can be used for how we live okay. life and for our, our faith? couple underlined words there, infallible truth and divine authority. I think those are good reasons to to take the Bible at its word, that it really does tell you the way. Mm -hmm. I want to read that first sentence in the first paragraph. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Now, what did that just say? The scriptures 
are certain for the rule of saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. But the light of nature, this is Romans 1, and the works of creation of providence really do show who God is and his wisdom, but they are not sufficient for saving knowledge. They show you who God is. It shows you his goodness, his, his wisdom. So in the scripture, we know that the saving knowledge is there. So someone can't say, well, I'm a Christian because I just look at nature and believe that there is a God that kind of watches over me or something like that. It leaves them without excuse for the existence of God, but just wisdom of, or the light of nature isn't enough to save. The scripture is. Then that second sentence, therefore it pleased the Lord, it's sundry times, I love that, in a diversified manner to reveal himself and declare his will unto his church. And he did that, why? Through the, how? Through the scriptures. Afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, in other words, the scripture, which makes the holy scriptures to be most necessary versus the God revealing through his people like he did in the Old Testament. So the scripture is necessary for the infallible rule of saving knowledge and faith. So your answer to faith is right there. The scripture is the only sufficient and cert certain text or work that you have. Now when you think about life, I know this is a lot to, to read through. Most of this is about salvation, but obedience is life. Paragraph six talks to mm -hmm. how to live life. And there are some circumstances concerning the worship. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. concerning the worship of God and government of the church, common human actions in societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word. There he is. There he is. There are general rules. There's not a specific rule that says, by the way, you should never wear jeans to church. That's not in there. I haven't seen it, or we're in trouble. So this is, again, this is not scripture, but these are some pretty smart guys who based the 1689 on a lot of different scripture. And uh, I would, again, and I know you guys have heard it from the pulpit and many other parts of the church, the 1689 is a really, really good read. And it's really helpful to understand where the church came from. You start looking at it for, <laughs> Uh, election and predestination and realized that this was the London Baptist. It is 100% about the election of man. Not 100%, I mean one of the, the big biggest chapter. So it is interesting because it all came out of the, the Reformation. Why there's a difference between election, predestination, and, and those who think that they can choose their way to God. Um... The other thing, the last thing about 
transmission is, and this is where it gets into a good debate, only in the original. Is it true and perfect and in error? Only in the original manuscript. So the first thing somebody who's going to debate you says, all right, well, show me the original. We don't have any of the originals. The originals do not exist. There isn't any. There's none. So how do you fight that? I mean, it sounds to me like you just built a straw man around, well, everything's inerrant, but it's, you know, it's really just the original that's inerrant. How do you know you've never even seen the original? Never seen it. So that sounds kind of silly for us to base everything that we believe and state on something that we've never even seen. How do we get out of that? You can read lots of commentaries on people who will refute the infallibility of Scripture based on that one fact. I guess you got to trust that the Scripture and the Bibles that we have today were fairly accurately translated and I just trust that this is similar to what the original said. Well, if you look throughout history, it's obvious that God had a hand in preserving the scripture. Yeah. How, what makes you and, say that? And, well, I mean, you you look at how meticulously um, scribes re recopied it over mm -hmm. and over again. Um, you know how it was stored, how it was revered, and 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 yeah, and, and kept. Um, you know, apart from other things, and, and there, there was a lot a, of effort. Always, an, yeah, an extreme effort, and and in preserving it and oh. protecting it. Is this double D? Yes. Did you wake up late? Rapidly growing. <laughs> we were cooking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was cooking. <laughs> I don't believe that for one minute. <laughs> Well, we're, gonna we're gonna expect something special on yeah. the table from y'all. <laughs> I'm hoping I know what it is. Do I know what it is? Yeah, that's the same thing. You're exactly right. So the second thing I handed you guys is a little chart. There you go. It's the second. We talked a little bit, or Jeremy did last week about this, but I thought I'd at least hand it out. And this is from Zondervan, so I'm going to assume it's fairly accurate. Here's all these different antiquity documents. Plato, Homer, uh, those other guys, Sophocles, Caesar, Tacitus, all these guys that people look at and rely on. So it shows the author, it shows the source. This pick uh, the Iliad. Homer and the Iliad, which we all read in high school or junior high or something, or had to read, or were told to read it. Ninth century BC. So it's 900 years before Christ. The earliest manuscript, 400 to 415 BC. So it's a gap of 450 years. There is over 1,800 copies. So people generally rely on that as truth. When they look at it, they see it. I don't know if the original uh, is around. Probably not, since the earliest manuscript is 450 years later. So they don't have the original that Homer wrote. So I don't even know. They could be making it up. Yeah. But it's definitely considered reliable when you, when you read it. Nobody ever talked to you and 
in high school that said, uh, by the way, we don't really have the original manuscript of this, so this might be right, it might be wrong. You look at all those different things, and, and this was mentioned last week. This is just the New Testament. Greek New Testament manuscripts, 5,856. 330 to 300 years after the earliest manuscript. So significantly less time significantly than the original writings. I find that fascinating. Then you look at the copies, the non-Greek New Testament manuscripts, translations, 18,000. So 24,000 New Testament manuscripts versus 1,800, which is the highest number of other uh, articles of antiquity. Nobody ever really questions the Old Testament. There's 42,000 scrolls and codices of that. So when we think about the Bible, just from a scientific perspective, forget about or just set aside everything we talked about at the beginning. 66,000 copies of this book. Now, when you think about the reliability of this book, do you feel a little bit better? that there's a pretty good chance there's not a lot of, of variance, right? Any questions about that? There was also, I remember, that there was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were very early manuscripts, and when they were mashed up, the Dead Sea Scrolls against a modern translation, there were minor differences, but yeah. it, it was very close and similar in message and, and everything. So. So we know that this is pretty reliable. Based Isn't that amazing? That. There were. Isaiah was just like Isaiah. Isaiah, the Dead Sea Scroll, was the same as the. Yeah. And when was that, the 1940s or 60s, when they found the Dead Sea Scroll? Exactly. It's more recent, definitely more recent uh, than most things. So over the years, in, in looking at these 66,000. Manuscripts, there have been identified over 150,000 variants, inconsistencies. 150,000 in all that information. Does that sound like a lot? Yeah, it sounds like a lot. But when they look at those, 99% of them were of no significance. So what were those little changes? This is where we get into translation. First one, I get to write down some words. I don't know until I looked up. Uh, didography. Was that, was that how you would say that? That's how I say it. Remember the ditto machine? If you were in elementary school, <laughs> go get a ditto. You probably do. You're an old man. You remember that. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> what does that mean? Didiography. Ditoography. It's the accidental, erroneous act of repeating a letter, a word, a phrase, or combination of letters by a scribe or a copyist. Okay. Got too many T's. I don't know how many mistakes I've made on this board already today by just spelling. The wrong T or a colon in the wrong place or a capital in the wrong location. That's accidental repeating of a letter or a word or a phrase. Another one, same kind of thing, haplography. Anyone want to guess on that one? The accidental removal of the letter? 
It is the opposite of ditty, dittoography. Dittoography is putting three T's in that place. Haplography is, and this one there isn't a double, is putting only one T. So it's super, super small. Two T's instead of one, or one T instead of two. That's the difference between those two. <coughs> um, here's the, these are good ones. Fission and fusion. Any uh, nuclear physicists in the room? Sarah. Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> fission, fusion. What's the difference between fission and fusion? Fusion is putting together. Splitting. Yeah. Fission is. And fusion is putting together. The difference between a, an atomic bomb and, uh, well, let's hope we never hit yeah. this one. That's very, very small. So an example would be um, how would you, if I did this, what did I just write? Now here, yeah. nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. No. Where? Now. Here. <laughs> That's what that is. Those little tiny things are what 150,000 of these errors that may have been found were then codified, checked against another source, the other 60. 5,999 to see if those words were done nowhere, now, here, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, two more, homophony. What's that mean? I know homophone is <laughs> two words that sound the same. Hmm? I'm running out of space. Oh, okay. Years and years. Mm. I said the same thing. Okay. Right? Sure. You could think of a hundred of them. Yeah. Flower, flower. There, there. That's used a lot in, in grammars. They meant T-H-E-Y possibly R-E, not, not the personal. So those kind of things happen. The last one, metathesis. I love these things. Uh, Illinois, guess what metathesis is? Metathesis. David became Dave? <laughs> no? <laughs> Close. You know, look this one up. How do you spell your last name? M A S K. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, Change it for a second. Mast. Mats. Real close. Almost the same. My favorite. Cast or cats. <laughs> just a just a one little thing. Just got mixed up. How many of you guys spell perfectly? There's certain words when I type, I always mess up. <laughs> just something wrong with my fingers. When I write the word the. It's always H-T-E. Something wrong with just the, the 
yeah. speed that I write. There's something like that always gets messed up. Those four things, five, six things, are part of translation. How do we make sure that one translation is true and authentic? All right. I'm feeling better about the Bible, the reliance on it, the truth and perfection. Mm -hmm. And that what you read in the Bible is generally inerrant, right? Feel pretty good about that? Okay, how about when we get into the translation, how do we know the, the, the one we're looking at is right? Let's see what this is. This is probably an ESV. That's ESV. Uh, this is, no, these are all ESV here. How do I know an ESV is better than uh, NLT, an NIV? Give me another one. King James. King James. How do I know? How do I know those are any better than one or the other? Well, I don't, I don't know. Some of them will tell you that they're paraphrased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's easy because you go, oh, it's paraphrased. It's, so when they paraphrase, there's several. There's uh, um, the New Living Translation. Remember that one back in the 70s? Maybe not. You probably do. I remember the NLT, the New Living Translation, the Contemporary English Version. The English Revised Bible, the Good News Translation. How about that one? You remember the Good News Translation? Those are all we'll call paraphrase. Well, those are particular. What they call those dynamic uh, equivalency. You ever heard of that? I think so, I've also heard it called thought for thought translation versus word for word. Same thing, where they take the context. So dynamic equivalence. See what the description of that is. Um, functional equivalence. That's another way to call this. That's functional. So you've got functional, dynamic, context, uh, thought, forethought. What's the other way to look at it? Other translations look at what? You got dynamic, and you have literal. Well, I'm looking at this exactly the way it was written in the original manuscript, and I'm going to transfer, translate word for word. When I look at a word, I'll bet you guys, Sarah, may have a different word for it in your original language. Does one word always equal one word? Could it be two? Could it be a phrase? How do you do that? Do you find that difficult just speaking? In how many languages do you do you all speak? We speak. You probably speak Spanish. Two. Yeah. <laughs> we speak two. Two. English and Tamil. What? Tamil. Tamil. Not T Hindi, but Tamil. T A M I L. That's what Mark also speaks. Yeah. Okay. So when you translate it from Greek or Latin or Aramaic into one of these different languages, there's going to be these issues, right? We already went through all the 
the, the scientific pieces, but now we're talking about how do I know if, if something is literal or formal, or it should be functional or dynamic. And then, of course, there's going to be the combination of all that, which is, you know, a combination of There are just a few others, but even the names are different, actually. Matthew is Matthew. And you see in other languages, actually, the names you see, Matthew or something like that. I'm sure he can relate to Pedro instead of Peter. Or the masculine feminine, when you start looking at that. And that's not just between male and female. That could mean a different difference in attitude or uh, La Nina versus El Nino. When I think about the the weather. (laughs) Yeah, There's expressions, too, that are kind of culturally contextual that in a right. literal translation it might not make sense. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes when we're in the world of translation, things get lost. Yeah. So how do we know that what we're looking at is is right? I want to give you a couple examples. John 3, 16. That's an easy one, right? Who can repeat that? Who can just say it? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but has everlasting life. Right. Um, the King James Version of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's almost exactly what you just said. (coughs) Young's literal translation says, For God did so love the world that his son, the only begotten, he gave that everyone who is believing in him may not perish but have life age dirty. Okay, dynamic, New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Overall, not a big difference between all those. So some of these you can look at it and realize, okay, the context, the meaning, actually the simple original phrase, I'm assuming, was pretty darn close to this. And it's not going to be hard to, to distinguish one from the other. But when we throw into that, so whoever believes, okay, how did they believe? Who? What's the, the meaning behind that? Does that mean anybody that just says, I believe, are now saved? Or was it the belief they were given? Effectual grace versus... Provenient grace, in other words. So we can look at the words, and those words are fairly black and white. But our understanding of those words, or our perception of those words, or perspective of those words, can change the whole meaning of the sentence. So we have to really look at it in a larger context, not just a literal, not even a functional perspective of that, but how do we look at all this stuff and make sure that we're understanding the overall intent of, of the message. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I'd written down, the pitfall of the dynamic equivalence, in other words, uh, these, these like New Living Translation, is that it leads to interpretive decisions that can sometimes miss the point of the original text and introduce foreign ideas. How do we know we're not doing that? Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. 
So based on that statement, a pitfall of the dynamic equivalence method of translation mm -hmm. is that it leads to an interpretive decisions oh, that yeah. can sometimes miss the point of the original text or introduce, even worse, foreign ideas or ideas that are alien to the original mm -hmm. context. How do I know that what we're seeing or believing or hearing is right? It's another trick question. My understanding is that's why a lot of people prefer ESV, because there's no pre-interpretation. It's fairly literal, yeah. Yeah, there's still um, contextual relativism in it. It, it. There's no way to avoid that, because we come from a certain perspective. So how do we make sure that what we're putting into our spirit and our minds is right the trick question is you don't. You don't know. So how do you guard yourself against that? Well, we always interpret things that are unclear by the things in the Bible that are clear. Yeah. And also, if, if you have a particular translation, it's, it's not a bad thing to sometimes compare translations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's exactly the point. I can't, in my own mind, by myself, read something, and then believe it. I, this, I suppose, could happen, but it's probably fairly rare. Hear it, read it, believe it, without any other voices in the picture here, or any other translations, or any other thought. It's just me. I believe it, therefore it is, and then I'm going to make my whole life based on that. The only way that works is the fact that this book, what did we decide? It's God inspired. It's his words. It's the creator of all that existed wrote this. So if I'm going to read something and hear it and believe it, that's a really good start to knowing that it's true and perfect. However, I'm a sinful, fallible human being. And I'm going to read something and I'm going to misinterpret it because I'm just, I'm human. So being around other people, now you start to see the reason why there is a church. So why are there... Preachers, you can't hear the word unless it's preached. All of those things start to validate and impress upon a singular idea what salvation is. So the more you hear, the more you read, the more context you have with other believers, the closer that assurance is in what you're reading. Does that make sense? Doing it in a vacuum or on an island is extremely, extremely difficult and rare. Fortunately, that's not the way the Bible was written or the reason the church exists is so that we can guard against those kinds of misinterpretations. One of the biggest things that happened in the Reformation was translation into German. Martin Luther translates the Bible into the common tongue. Uh, William Tyndall, anybody know who that guy was? He was a translator into English. He was burned. Now he was killed, and then later, when they decided he was a heretic, they dug him up and burned him at the stake. Seriously, really excessive. So they killed him. Twice. Yeah. They were really mad at him. <laughs> Why? All he did is take the Bible and translate it into English. What's the big harm in that? Well, what did it do to the church system, the politics of the church? Oh, so now Jeremiah could read it for himself and interpret it for himself. I just lost the significance for my job because I'm going to tell you what it means. 
So you can see where this could get really dangerous very quickly, but there was a problem with the corruption in the church that was trying to hold on to power that, that they needed to give away. Well, <clears throat> all that to say is there's all these different ideas, there's all these interpretations. How do we keep ourselves from falling into to, uh, error, heresy? How do we do that? With all that we've gotten, we know that this Bible is trustworthy and perfect, but how do I know that I'm interpreting it right? It's other people, it's church, it's context. It's bouncing it off of your spouse. Hey, I was thinking this, and what do you think? And allowing the Holy Spirit to guide where you're headed. So it's reading the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the people around you, it's the church. It's putting all that together so that we don't fall in error. We've seen it in our own church. We know how it can happen. How do we guard against that? That's what the purpose of the church is. So, I think we're done. Back to the original question that Sarah and Raj, you weren't in here for. If, if we truly believe that that book is perfect for life and faith, it's written by the creator of all that exists, how does it change or inform the way you live. Upside down. What's that? Upside down, she Upside down. Yeah. That's what I kind of want to leave us with today is, if we truly believe this, I challenge all of us to let it make a difference in your daily life. It's the purpose. Life in faith purpose of the Bible. With that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for how it affects us, how it changes our perspective on life and faith. Father, allow us, breathe into us the ability to live the life that you want us to live, to live in light of the work that you've done for us and to live with this in our hearts and to believe on the fact that this book is perfect. It is true. It is trustworthy. And it is good for how I live, how I, how I perceive my neighbors, my friends, my relationships, how I understand my relationship with you, ultimately for salvation. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.